0: Welcome to the Bonhoeffer Podcast, a podcast about the life, theology, and practice of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I'm your host, Corey Tuttle, and my guest today is Dr. Jennifer McBride. Dr. McBride is the Assistant Professor of Theology and Ethics at McCormick Theological Seminary and the President of the International Bonhoeffer Society English Section. Dr. McBride, thank you so much for joining me.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, I've been really looking forward to this for a while. What I figured I could do is kind of give the layout of our time together, and that way we, we can kind of know where we're headed. Uh, what we usually do is sort of a get to know you section. We ask questions just about your your journey with Bonhoeffer and those sorts of things, and then we can jump into kind of your current work. So how did you become interested in Bonhoeffer?
1: Yeah, well, this happened um, before graduate school. It was after I graduated from the University of North Carolina for undergrad. And I just moved to Washington, DC. I was working in um, what you might call a hospitality house. It was an urban ministry in Southeast uh, DC. And it was, um, they would probably call themselves progressive evangelicals. The the word they used was racial reconciliation, um, concern about having people that are often um, separated from one another and distant from one another come together. Um, And the Southeast White House was also sort of a resource center, uh, a place where people that were um, different from one another could meet and get to know one another and work together for the sake of the neighborhood. And my um, now mentor, Marilyn Demick, who I've known since then, who's become a really important person in my life, she introduced uh, a group of us to life together at the Southeast White House. So we read it together. Um, And I instantly, as many people, that's kind of the way in to Bonhoeffer, I think for many people, is life together or discipleship. And I think I was really struck by um, sort of the simplicity of the language and yet the profundity of the ideas. Um, And I also was really struck by, um, I grew up conservative evangelical. And so the focus on Jesus and relationship with Jesus uh, was very strong and still, still is strong for me. And Bonhoeffer, of course, all of his theology is Christology. So that constant reference to Jesus Christ was something that was familiar. And yet what he was saying felt um, really new and felt like he was articulating things that I had had intuitions about, that I had had frustrations about from my conservative evangelical upbringing. And he was starting to uh, name some things that I hadn't quite articulated yet.
0: Mm. Wow, that, that's so interesting. So. Why why Bonhoeffer, I guess? I, uh, something that I usually ask for uh, for kind of Bonhoeffer scholars that have, have gone on to do PhD is saying there are other uh, theologians that you could have done a PhD on. Uh, what, what particularly sticks out for you?
1: Yeah, well, I think it really, I mean, the answer begins with that answer I just gave you mm-hmm. that was really organic. Um, and I think that... Um, You know, I went, the Southeast White House was an experience that I had where it was actually the first time that I had dealt with my white privilege, Um, so my racial privilege, also my socioeconomic privilege. It was the first time I was in a relationship with people um, that uh, were in an urban environment, that were in um, uh, neighborhoods that didn't have the same resources that I had. Um, And so a lot of sort of real existential theological questions arose from that experience. And again, because I saw that Bonhoeffer was um, saying something that sounded familiar and yet something new, he was just sort of a natural um, companion. So I, you know, I when I applied to PhD programs, I actually um, probably should have gotten an MDiv first, but I grew up in a conservative environment that didn't uh, ordain women. So it wasn't a mainline environment. I really didn't know the difference between an MDiv and a master's in religious studies. I've been a religious studies major in undergrad. And I looked at the University of Virginia where uh, Charles Marsh had a project on lived theology and was focusing very much on Dietrich Bonhoeffer as well as Martin Luther King Jr. Um, And I think that just uh, the focus on lived theology, um, on this idea of philosophical theologians who were you know, writing this philosophical theology, this very sort of, uh, in this particular way that, that philosophical theology is kind of a particular genre, and yet um, doing it in the midst of situations of social concern, and as you said, that that kind of concrete um, practical, uh, although it wasn't, it's not always obviously practical, right, really? so, so that Bonhoeffer was um, saying these things in ways that I'd never heard them, and yet, um, uh, they lent themselves to practical implication. Uh, but I think to go back to part of your question, besides the Christological emphasis, I was also um, early on in reading Bonhoeffer very much struck by the this worldliness uh, emphasis in his theology. Um, you know, it's hard sometimes to go back and think what you were thinking 20 or 25 years ago, especially for someone like myself, where I've gone from one particular subculture of Christianity, conservative, white conservative evangelicalism, uh, to now I'm mostly hang out in mainline circles, um, but also connect with progressive evangelicals. So it's hard to go back and think about what I was thinking then, but but this idea of that we can believe very much in transcendence, but the transcendence is for the sake of this world. Now I have um, much more ways to articulate that with focus on the kingdom of God, um, the, the Lord's prayer, Uh, the kingdom come on earth. But Bonhoeffer was really the first person who who showed me that. And again, I think because he showed it through an emphasis on Jesus, uh, I I was able to sort of hear it and uh, get excited about it.
0: I can completely relate to that. I've fairly recently finished uh, my undergrad degree at a uh, conservative evangelical school. And uh, after that, and starting to read more Bonhoeffer and get into uh, sort of Bonhoeffer studies, seeing the, um, the this worldliness, the everydayness of theology, and um, particularly, I think, um, and you're probably alluding to, to some of this, that my thought is this, um, like, we live here, we die, we go far away, and we never come back again. <laughs> we, go, we go to heaven. But then, like, I'm reading Bonhoeffer, and Bonhoeffer is all about the kingdom being on earth, and that you know, in the end, the end of the Bible is you in your body with God on earth. <laughs> and and yes. this is all preparation and getting right. to in that process. That's been mind blowing for me lately. So,
1: yeah, That's- I think that a lot, even um, the circles that I came out of are starting to have a better understanding of the importance of outreach and the importance of being concerned with social issues. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do still think within the conservative evangelical, uh, churches, it's still kind of an afterthought instead of the heart of the gospel. Yeah. Um, and I think that, that Bonhoeffer and also uh, studying alongside Bonhoeffer Martin Luther King Jr.'s theology and um, the whole civil rights movement and the witness of the, the church spilling out into the streets, those combined um, was really significant for my, um, for kind of the, the new way of thinking that I was really yearning for.
0: Mm-hmm. And you mentioned your, uh, your live theology method. Um, yes. Can we elaborate on that a little bit more? I, I'm, I'm really curious.
1: Sure, so, so the project on the theology that I mentioned earlier um, is at the University of Virginia where I did my doctoral work. It was begun by Charles Marsh, she's a Bonnocker scholar, as well as a scholar of the civil rights movement, the Martin Luther King's theology. And the idea, it's it's a Lilly-based um, project, and uh, Lilly funded, and the idea is that um, looking at these two, Uh, quintessential lived theologians Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Martin Luther King Jr. Both of them studied philosophical theology um, and as I said earlier both of them were um, doing so while being immersed in uh, situations of social concern. Now of course Martin Luther King Jr. was doing it from um, as part of the oppressed and uh, Bonhoeffer was doing it as part of the privileged um, class and so in a lot of ways Part of the significance for me with Bonhoeffer is that um, I too am privileged—not um, uh, only my white privilege, but I grew up at a, at a boys' prep school. I kind of always been in these middle, upper-middle-class uh, circles, and to um, to see someone who was working out his privilege—he might not have always said it in that way—but working out his privilege um, uh, and and sort of intentionally. Um, Entering into, as he says, in discipleship, new situations of social concern um, was really important for me. But the Lyft theology, um, the way I have used Lyft theology and talked about it as a method, I do this, um, uh, well, this came up in my first book, The Church for the World, where there um, I was engaging Bonhoeffer's theology kind of as a first step. Um, uh, So I was... um, constructing what I call a theology of public witness that was rooted in an understanding, Bonhoeffer's understanding of repentance, which for boniface is tied to responsibility. Um, and then I was putting philosophical theology in conversation with a couple of communities that I did ethnographic sketches of. One of them was the Southeast White House, where I um, was in Washington, D.C. And so that was kind of the live theology method for me at first, was bringing— um, Kind of the scholar of Bonhoeffer and the practitioners of these faith communities together in conversation, and that's one of the things that the project on the theology at UVA does very literally. And I was um, uh, in grad school; I was uh, a graduate assistant that helped put on a lot of those workshops and conferences. But then in my um, most recent book, Radical Discipleship, I some a lot of people said, you know, why don't you combine the ethnography? And the philosophical theology kind of more organically. So I basically had a section on Bonhoeffer, and then here's these communities that are exemplifying this. And in radical discipleship, um, I did that uh, in that I immersed myself in uh, teaching theology to women in prison and in a community called the Open Door Community, which is a Protestant, um, sort of grafted itself, Protestant radical activist and worshiping community that grafted itself into the Catholic worker movement. And so my live theology method there was really discipleship. What does it mean for me? I want to write theology um, out of these places of social concern. So there it was mass incarceration, anti-death building, uh, protests, and homelessness. Um, so what I want to write theology out of trying to actually be a disciple of Jesus, um, and uh, especially theology that understands that the core of the gospel is social. So that's a long way of saying that maybe the the summary, I do give a little definition of radical discipleship, um, which is that live theology, um, my way of doing it is um, uh, immersing myself in situations of social concern and thinking theologically out of those spaces. Wow. Um, So it it has... um, Resonance with practical theology. Perhaps it is practical theology. I wasn't trained in practical theology I now have a a job where I'm in charge of a practical theology program the doctor of ministry But I think one of the things that shifted for me is that in the church for the world um, I really I needed to rearticulate the gospel and I did it in my head you know, I mean it was coming out of experiences at the southeast White House But really the work i felt like i needed to do was re-articulate the gospel and i looked to bonifers theology for that and then i put it in conversation with communities in um, radical discipleship it was um, what is more commonly sort of the liberation theology model or the practical theology model is i began with experience i immersed myself in experience and then had theological insight arise out of that experience
0: wow that's so great. Yeah, I, that's something that y- you mentioned that you don't see yourself as sort of trained in practical theology, but I think you have the job for the reason for a reason because um, definitely reading. Uh, I, I read a chur- the Church for the World, and um, I think I mentioned to th- this to you off air, but um, I'm studying lots of Bonhoeffer. I'm specifically reading Act and Being right now, so everything is just um, level ten. Brain uses yeah. <laughs> um, and like no practical application currently. Um, so taking a break from that and seeing uh, sort of your books remind me a lot of the the pastoral section of, of Bonhoeffer's work where it, it is these deep theological truths, um, but lived out in a way that, um, that that is practical. So so thank you for that. Um, I, I wanted to ask you about for the church for the world. Can you kind of lay out a uh, theology of public witness and how does how does Bonhoeffer's um, public w- witness lay out in his work, that sort of thing? You said you mentioned it was repentance and responsibility. Could you flesh that out a little bit for me?
1: Sure. Well, the first thing I should probably go back and say is um, the kind of Bonhoeffer scholarship I do. So, hmm. um, so for the you know the, for maybe the first forty years of Bonhoeffer scholarship. Uh, the emphasis was really on historical, textual work. And um, and that work is still being done and still needs to be done. Um, And and then what some Bonhoeffer scholars are sort of concerned about was they might call it applied Bonhoeffer. We don't don't want to do applied Bonhoeffer, which would be kind of a shallow, well, Bonhoeffer did this in Nazi Germany, and therefore this is what it means for us uh, today in a totally different context, a kind of very quick move which happens a lot with Bonhoeffer, often because people look to his biography and haven't really read his theology and so make um, really misuses of him. But, the, but I think there's, there's something in between the textual and the, and the bad applied, which is constructive theology. And um, constructive theology is taking very serious, understanding you know, close readings of Bonhoeffer, understanding um, what he meant, what it meant for him in his historical context, and then, um, and then making that move to what it means um, to, to basically, one of the things that is so interesting about Bonhoeffer that I think why people are drawn to him is that so much of his work is unfinished. So he has these lines of thinking that he never, he develops in some ways, but aren't fully developed. So for me, that's the exciting part of constructive theology is to take some of those threads and develop them um, while immersing myself in my context and thinking about what do these lines of thinking mean for being a privileged Protestant um, North American. Um, So the the Church for the World um, is in that line of constructive theology. So I'm asking a question um, that is a question rooted in my context, um, which is how can privileged Protestant church communities, the Christians, offer a non-triumphal witness to the Lordship of Christ in a pluralistic society. And I use um, the Lordship language intentionally to sort of juxtapose it to the non-triumphal witness. How can we have a non-triumphal witness when we're saying that Jesus is Lord? Um, Another way of of, um, asking the question is how can privileged Protestants in North America in a pluralistic society have a witness that is both bold and humble a social and political witness. So one that takes a stand, um, but is also humble. Because what we see, um, I mean, this was true 10 to 15 years ago when I was writing my dissertation that became The Church for the World, a book, and it's true today, is that we see that Christians in the public square are, on all sides, are triumphalistic and self-righteous. And it's rooted, I think, in an idea that we believe that we are all supposed to be these moral witnesses, um, and that we have morality. And these are opposing understandings of morality. And so it becomes a battle over who is more moral. And what's interesting for Bonhoeffer's work is that his understanding of Jesus, he says very directly, in ethics and other places, Jesus is not a moral exemplar. Who Jesus Christ is in public life is that Jesus takes the form of a sinner. Jesus is is in solidarity with sinners. Jesus is the convicted criminal that dies on the cross. And so developing, and then of course Bonhoeffer's theme throughout um, that Jesus accepts guilt and takes responsibility for sin in the world. So I use those ideas to develop that for, especially for privileged Protestants in the United States who are, who benefit from unjust structures, who maintain unjust structures, that we are complicit in the injustices in our society and that we need to accept guilt and take responsibility um, for those structures. Um, so, so I was, um, you know, there's ways we could talk about Bonhoeffer in his historical time. He says some interesting things here and there about um, the confessing church being uh, the body that uh, accepts guilt, and, or the body that uh, repents and accepts guilt. And then he talks about the conspiracy circle Um, which are mostly not Christians, as those who take the form of the crucified Christ that accepts the guilt and takes responsibility. Um, So my concern that the historical piece is undergirding what I'm doing, but I'm not so much saying, here's Bonhoeffer, the historical figure, and here's what he thinks about public witness. I'm really looking at um, where his theology leads and what we can construct for our time and place out of that theology.
0: That's great. Yeah. And you mentioned that that kind of plays right into your uh, Southeast White House uh, and your your experiences in these communities that that kind of identify uh, with sinners that uh, kind of break the lines um, that we usually have drawn up. Yes. Yeah,
1: Yeah. absolutely. So, I mean, both the communities in the Church for the World, the Southeast White House and then another community called Elefthero, neither of them really talked about themselves as being communities of repentance, but I talk about, although, well, the Elethero pastor did talk about repentance a lot, but I talk more about that these are communities that have a disposition of repentance, meaning that the way that they offer public witness is by saying we are taking responsibility um, for this social sin that in, in a concrete way not just that we're confessing the sin, but that we are concretely embodying repentance by focusing on one social issue or maybe two interlocking social issues and, and having the identity and the mission of our particular church community be rooted in that. So, yeah, so The Church for the World, obviously in the title, The Church for the World, it is an ecclesiology um, as well. So in line with Baudrillard's theology, much of it is Christology, but then um, that Christology leads to an understanding of who the church should be.
0: Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm writing my thesis on his theological anthropology, and I'm having a hard time separating his ecclesiology and his anthropology and his Christology. It's kind of like, yes. I don't know how I'm going to, like, Uh, You know, put all this together, but it's it's so ingrained in everything that he does, his Christology, leading to his ecclesiology. So, um, I I really appreciated that. Um, uh, So, what I wanted to also do is to kind of ask you, sort of, your work uh, as the president of the International Bonhoeffer Society. um, What is that like? (laughs) What (laughs) what are your roles like? uh, What's your favorite part of the job? Yeah. Well,
1: so so I became the president. I think three years ago maybe, or two years, two and a half years ago. Um, The first thing to say is that I'm just completely honored to to be able to take this uh, role in the English language section of International Bonhoeffer Society. Uh, As you know, the International Bonhoeffer Society English language section is comprised of the first generation scholars who really brought Bonhoeffer's work to the English speaking world. Um, And the way uh, that happened, one of the major ways was through the Dietrich Bonifer works English uh, translations, the critical translations, the 17 volumes that we now have that are complete. So, um, so that was a huge part of the work of the society for the you know the first 40 years or so. Um, and with a part of that work early on was also a um, an intentional focus on how can Bonhoeffer's theology also address the concerns of the church in the world today? So that's been there from the beginning. But what's really exciting about this time, about where I we are right now in the society, is that we're kind of making a bit of a, a turn, a new turn. Um, again, not leaving behind the historical textual, that work needs to um, be done, and now more work can be done because of these 17 volumes that have been translated into English. But now we're also really intentionally, Um, taking that commitment that was sort of planted as a seed early on about how can we really um, let Boniface theology be useful to ordinary people in the pews, to churches, uh, to activists, um, to artists even. And I think that work, um, there's a lot to be done. So one of the things that we're doing, which might sound very simple, but um, we are now putting money into uh, completely rebuilding our website. So we really want that to be a um, virtual community and kind of the go-to place for anyone who's interested in Bonhoeffer studies. Um, it's, it took a little bit of time to get to the point where we were committed to um, a website like this. We have one right now that was um, graciously uh, done by a Bonhoeffer scholar um, who on his own time and money um, did sort of, a, sort of a home-based website and the time has really come for us to, to really think more creatively and, and think about um, how Boniface theology can be, um, how to make constructive use of it in the ways that, um, that I and others have done in their scholarship. So it is that big question about, you know, Boniface's question of are we of any use? Are we theologians of any use? And it's kind of a haunting question because for those of us who care about this academically and it's a, part of our, a central part of our faith and we think that it matters to the church But it's hard even for church folks to kind of care about theology. It's a a different kind of way in. It's a different language sometimes. So I think right now the exciting part of the society is being able to really think through how to creatively, with multimedia. Um, There's so many things we could do that we just have ideas right now. And we're going to create this new website and then get to work to really um, help Boniface theology be more accessible. Now, the story, of course, is already out there. But that can be problematic um, if you, re- as I said earlier, if you read his biography without actually knowing his theology. So we really want um, ways to help church people see um, how Boniface's theology can be useful to them.
0: That's great. You also um, form conferences and and plan events like that. It's, it seems um, just finished one the uh, the public lectures. Yes. Um, how was that? Uh, can we get any highlights for those who weren't able to attend?
1: Sure. Well, that actually follows nicely from what I just said, because so the, the Bonifer Lectures in Public Ethics happens every other year in the United States. The other years, it happens in Germany. So it's a national, even an international conference, um, as the idea is that there would be some exchange between um, Germans and Americans. Um, but we took it on, uh, Reggie Williams, my colleague and I, Matt Jones, who's a new uh, board member and a PhD student at Aberdeen, and myself were on the planning committee. And we um, and we were hosting it at McCormick Theological Seminary where I'm on faculty and Reggie is on faculty. And so although it's national and even international, we really wanted it to be useful for the people that we serve, for our constituencies, for the neighborhoods that are around McCormick. And McCormick is in South Side Chicago. So one of the really important questions is, what does this white German early to mid 20th century theologian have to say to people of color in Southside Chicago? Is this someone who is helpful? And it's actually a live question, right? um, Why why would people of color turn to to, uh, Western German theologians? So Reggie and Matt and I were really intentional about thinking about social location, about Bonhoeffer's social location as a privileged white um, German theologian and philosophical theologian, someone who can be difficult to read. Um, and to understand, um, and so what we ended up doing is having the conference theme be on advocacy and resistance in a divided time. Um, these public lectures are can take multiple forms, so they can be about a theme um, in public life that has uh, sort of an indirect reference to Bonhoeffer, um, but not necessarily a, a conference about Bonhoeffer or it can be all bottom of the papers. So we try to do sort of a mix of that. So we invited um, the Reverend Dr. William Barber and then Reverend Jonathan uh, wilson Hartgrove to be our keynote speakers. Um, As you might know, they are both progressive evangelicals, one African American, one white, who are really uh, movement builders and they're going around the country um, and really trying to to carry on the Poor People's Campaign from, from 1968. Um, so that connected well, and then we um, we were intentional about saying, let's look at particular social issues that some Bonifer scholars have written on, and let's use Bonifer's theology as a new way into these social issues. And then we paired those papers with workshops of local Chicago organizations that are actually doing this work on the ground. Um, so I co wrote a paper uh, on um, Bonifer and mass incarceration, and then we had a workshop. Uh, from a formerly incarcerated um, person who is a um, leader in a coalition in Illinois around um, policies um, that would help make reentry uh, easier and better. Mm. Um, so it, it was it was an exciting. We had a the paper on mass incarceration, a paper on um, uh, Jeffrey Pugh, who was a part of the um, the resistance to the neo Nazis of Charlottesville in 2017. Um, wrote about nonviolence and a really personal, heartfelt, and theologically rich paper about uh, in those moments, what does it mean to resist um, becoming who you're resisting? Right to resist the hatred and the desire to fight back violently. Um, and then we had a paper on ecological justice and on gender justice. So, it, so it's exciting because it was doing exactly the kind of work that I just named that we're hoping to do in this sort of new season of the society, which is try to make those connections.
0: Wow, that's great. How, how often, uh, you said, biannually for the Bonhoeffer public lectures um, on ethics. Are there any other Bonhoeffer conferences? How, how often is, are there get-togethers, I guess? Yes,
1: well, the first thing to say is, even though we haven't um, rebuilt the website yet, still go to www.thebonhoeffercenter.org, and that's where you can get this information. Um, The next really big conference coming up is the International Bonhoeffer Congress that happens every four years. And this January is taking place in South Africa. Um, So that's exciting. And um, there are often conferences, I don't know if it's every few years, conferences. um, They're aimed at pastors and religious leaders. Um, And then there's other things that happen sort of regionally as well, but the the public lectures, um, the Bonhoeffer uh, International Congress, and then every year at the American Academy of Religion, uh, the Bonhoeffer board meets, and then we have the members meeting. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have papers during the American Academy of Religion. We have a Bonhoeffer group that normally has two or three sessions, and those are always exciting. And then we have dinners that are often in basements of local churches where we also have a time of fellowship,
0: and then also a speaker as well. Wow, that's anyway. I, I, I did not know that um, that about American Academy of Religion. That's exciting. Yes. I, I didn't know that. Um, I will definitely be looking into that because I've been doing this podcast and interacting with Bonhoeffer scholars. It just seems I, I could probably say this every episode, but the diversity and also the hospitality of the group is yes. incredible. It's it's just been such such a privilege to be you know part of it.
1: Well, that's a really important point to say that I think that, um, that the kind of scholars that are drawn to Bonhoeffer are just wonderful human beings. So it's a great group to to get to know. A lot of them are ordained as well. Or there are pastors um, who, you know, their full-time gig is being a pastor, but they've been translators in the DBWE volumes, or they have written books on uh, Bonhoeffer. They have their um, doctorate degree. So there really is that, what Bonifer held in his own life of the, of the academic and the pastor, um, the society has that as well. So it's a really wonderful group of people.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, I have have just two more for you. Um, As far as Bonhoeffer scholarship right now, is there anything that you're interested in, um, the work that's being done that that we have not talked about yet? I'm just sort of um, interested in what's going on in in these fields.
1: Well, there's so much, you know, I mean, people always ask me, um, is there anything else left to say about Bonhoeffer? People have written so much, and of course there is. There continues to be. Um, Again, because of the DBWE volumes, and the fact that you don't have to even know German to be able to um, access these resources, and because of all the constructive work um, that can be done. Um, A little plug, I'm... uh, Philip Ziegler and Michael Mawson and myself are in a proposal stage right now of Um, a book series that will be a Bonhoeffer Theology and Ethics book series. Um, And there's some great things we have lined up as the first books coming out of that. Um, Philip Ziegler has uh, a book that is a um, sort of a conglomeration of a lot of his essays around Bonhoeffer's theology and the the doctrine of the Word of God, looking both at his theology and ethics around the theme of um, how much of a sort of doctrinal Theologian Bonifero is and then how that affects his theology and his ethics. That's exciting. Um, I Get asked to look at a lot of books. and There's a lot of great stuff coming out Um, You know, you mentioned the uh, early the dissertations that are hard to read Michael Lawson just wrote a book on um, on um, Sanctorum Communio uh, a book that I really love that came out a couple of years ago is Andrew DeCourt's book um, on new beginnings and he traces uh, this idea of new beginnings throughout Bonhoeffer's uh, corpus. I don't know. There's so much.
0: <laughs> well, and that kind of leads me into, you perfectly set me up for the, for the last question. Um, what we usually do is a game of Desert Island on here at the very end. It's, uh, you, you get one book. By Bonhoeffer, and one book about Bonhoeffer. It could be about his life, a biography, or his theology—your uh, choice. Um, but it's just a fun way to get uh, book recommendations for for listeners. Uh, so, what would you go with?
1: Oh well, I, I'm I kind of I'm kind of anti the desert island metaphor because um, <laughs> you know I mean it brings up an interesting point that that I also get asked a lot. What's the like the one book that I should begin with? That could mm-hmm. be an introduction to Bonhoeffer. And the hard thing about Bonifer's work is that there's not that one book. Again, it's the part that makes it so interesting is that so much of his work is fragmentary and unfinished. And so the unfortunate thing is you really have to read a lot across the whole of his corpus to start to see how these themes uh, connect from one piece of writing to the next and how they're developed. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, if I'm taking very literally the desert metaphor <laughs> I would want something kind of inspirational, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. And I think that, um, especially in those last couple months, and letters and papers from prison, um, on religionless Christianity and um, some of his lines about the disworldliness, um, I think that those are there's a lot of passages that I go back to over and over um, in a similar way that you might with scripture, you know, there, or, or poetry, you know, that there's, there's. Um, reading them at a different time in a new context, um, you know, speaks to you in in new ways. So I would probably do that. But I also think, of course, ethics um, has so much, so many of those uh, threads that can continue to be developed. Um, So ethics as well. Um, I just recently went back and reread Creation and Fall and um, used that as the center point of the essay that I did on Bonhoeffer and mass incarceration. And I, um, it really helped me to review creation of fall and see where a lot of the themes that are developed throughout his writings have their beginning there in that work on creation of fall. Um, the, the freedom for others instead of freedom from others. Uh, the idea of our creatureliness and that um, the fall was a fall away from our creatureliness and a desire to be like God instead of being a creature. And then how that plays out in ethics of the real human being and what it means to be the real human being, not the not the superhuman, not the perfect human, not the moral human, but the real human being is a creature mm-hmm. and that God loves the real human being. Um, so so right now, my mind is sort of in creation of full. Um Did you ask about the secondary source?
0: Yeah, yeah, just a, yeah. a secondary source.
1: Well, I think a book that I, I just love and want everyone to read is an older book by Lisa Dayhill, who's one of the translators of the DBE, DBWE volumes. And hers is really the only book-length um, reading of Bonhoeffer through a feminist lens who really takes seriously his social location and what it means to read Bonhoeffer if you're from a different social location. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 brilliant. It's, um, a, it's a perfect example of... Um, Bonifer is uh, is someone that a lot of people write hagiography about, right? We want him to sort of be our perfect person. Um, and so Lisa gives um, a real critique of aspects of his thinking around gender and his sexism, mm-hmm. but then also looks at these um, really central threads in his theology uh, that can provide inner critiques of his sexism. So it's it's really a, a beautiful book that I think Everyone should read. And Lisa was one of our uh, speakers at the public lectures.
0: Wow. Uh, can I have you uh, just spell her last name? for Sure.
1: Daniel is D-A-H-I-L-L.
0: Okay, great. And I'm noting it down for myself so that I can look at that further. Uh,
1: her, her, she's, done it, she's published a lot, but this book is called, um, uh, I think it's Reading from the Underside of Selfhood, Bonhoeffer, and Spiritual Formation. Hmm. So she's really looking at... Um, uh, women who have um, been abused and what it means to read Bonhoeffer from that social location because he's very um harsh about his understanding of the self and so she's problematizing that and then offering ways to read him in a more liberative way around that issue
0: wow that sounds so fascinating all right well um yeah i think that's all i have for you today i really appreciate you you know being willing to come and, and have this conversation and taking the time to do this. Um, what I'll also do is if there's any way if anyone has uh, further questions, is there anything that you want to plug besides, let's say the Bonhoeffer Center or the, yeah, the Bonhoeffer, Bonhoeffer Center.
1: Center. Not- yes, well, I will say that um, that you can be a friend or a contributing member to the society. So do go on the website, the present website we have and sign up and then you can get um, emails and um, other, we will have your information that way. Um, so that we can really start sort of creating this broader community of people. And then, of course, if you want to be a contributing member, that's helpful as well. Um, so, yeah, please, we want we want the society really is open, uh, not just to scholars, not just to religious leaders, but to anyone of any faith, um, anyone who's interested in Bonhoeffer studies.
0: Fantastic. All right, and uh, the books, The Church of the World and Radical Discipleship, any Amazon anywhere books are sold if people are interested in reading more?
1: Yes, uh, Church for the World is Oxford University Press. Um, I just go on Amazon, and then uh, Radical Discipleship is Fortress. I also have a, a co-edited anthology on Bonhoeffer and King, a Christian ethicist who are um, who are putting these two figures in conversation together.
0: That's great. Yeah. So listeners, go check that out, um, and then yeah, I think we're all set. Again, thank you so much. This is
1: thank was you. Really great. Yes, great.
0: Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bonhoeffer Podcast. And thank you to Dr. McBride for coming on. As she mentioned on the show, if you are interested in learning more about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, please go visit the website, thebonhoeffercenter.org. You can find Dr. McBride's books that we discussed today wherever books are sold. And if you would like what you hear, please consider leaving a review on your podcast app because it will help others find the show more easily. We should be back in July with another episode, and it's looking like it will be the first episode that I'm able to record in person with a guest. So I'm really looking forward to that. More information about that later. Anyways, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks for listening.